Good morning, everyone. Today's reading is from Revelation 2, verses 18 to 29, and it's on pages 1, 2, 3, 4 to 1235 in our church Bible. Revelation 2, verses 18 to 29, pages 1, 2, 3, 4 to 1, 2, 3, 5. To the church in Thyatira, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, right? These are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are a burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the, and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Unless they repent of her ways, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold on to a teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I've received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Mary, thank you so much for reading our passage. Folks, I'm so grateful that the victory that matters most was achieved 2,000 years ago. I need to remind myself of that truth, and maybe you do too uh, this morning. Hey, let me lead us in prayer as we begin. Father, thank you so much for your word. We treasure it. We are so grateful to you for it, and that you speak to us today through it. We pray you to help us as we think about Jesus' words to the, left, to the church in, in Thyatira. Help us to see uh, the relevance of um, this letter to us here today in Banstead. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I met a, a lovely young Brazilian couple um, who were in London on holiday. And they told me that they really loved each other and were, and were hoping to get married one day. But they also told me that they were already living together, which intrigued me. It surprised me because they'd, they'd earlier told me that, um, that, they, that they were Christians. However, what took me by even greater surprise was what they said next. Um, they told me that their, 
their church minister uh, informed them that what they were doing was totally okay uh, because they, they loved each other. Um, so it was fine. They didn't have to wait um, to get married before they could be sexually um, intimate. Do you see why that surprised me? If they weren't Christians and were living together, I wouldn't have battered an eyelid. I don't expect non-Christians to live like Christians. But I think it's fair for us to expect Christians to live like Christians, or at least to, to try to live like Christians. Not only were this young couple readily uh, living in sin, they even had uh, their church minister's approval. And to be honest, I'm not really sure which is worse. The fact that they were sinning or the fact that they, they had their minister's endorsement. Now, why am I sharing that story with you? Sin was being tolerated um, in that couple's church. The minister was approving it. And sin is also what is being tolerated in the church we're looking at this morning, the church in Thyatira. And the sin that is being tolerated in the church is, is a direct result of the teaching that its members are exposing themselves to. So have a look with me at verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrifice sacrificed to idols. Did you notice the main issue um, as we read that verse? The primary issue that Jesus highlights isn't the fact that some people, are, some people in the church are holding to the teaching of Jezebel, though some clearly are, right? The primary issue which Jesus chooses to, to underline is that the church as a whole is tolerating this teaching. There are people in the church who are listening to this teaching, um, the teaching of this woman who calls herself a prophet, and they're committing the sins promoted by her teaching. And what is the rest of the church doing about it? Nothing. They tolerate it. Maybe a bit like how that Brazilian minister um, tolerated sin in his own church. Now, folks, Our society loves to think of itself as tolerant, doesn't it? Ironically, though, I think it is nowhere near as tolerant as it claims to be. Just try telling people that Jesus is the only way to God and see how that goes down. Our society isn't really that tolerant. But it certainly wants to present itself in that way. Now, I'm sure you'd agree that tolerance can be a tremendously wonderful thing. For example, at work, you might tolerate your, your Muslim colleague's view that Jesus is just a prophet, or your atheist colleague, colleague's view that Jesus was just a carpenter. Now, you, you don't agree with those views, but you tolerate them. You tolerate them because you respect your colleagues and the freedom that they have um, to hold their own views. And we hope that they'll also tolerate our own views too. Tolerance can be a good thing. Tolerance can even be a loving thing. When you tolerate people who are different to you or have different views to your own, you're in a a sense 
loving them. But we also know that tolerance isn't always good. For example, should we tolerate uh, child abuse or domestic violence? Of course not. When it comes to what you tolerate, you have to draw the line somewhere. Tolerance isn't always right. So someone would ask you, isn't it loving to be tolerant? Isn't it loving to be tolerant? The answer is, of course, it depends. But I'm not sure that that is how the church in Thyatira might have gone about answering that question. You see, this church in Thyatira, it has a, a lot going for it. Look at what Jesus says to it in verse 19. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. That's a pretty glowing endorsement, isn't it? And I think it's that what makes what comes later on such a shock. So firstly, we see this church is is servant-hearted. You can picture uh, members queuing up to, to serve in the welcome of uh, Sunday school and PA teams. And this church is, is loving. Do you remember how earlier in chapter 2 uh, we found Jesus criticizing the church in, in Ephesus for being unloving? There's no such problem here. If, if you go to the church in Thyatira, you're going to feel welcomed loved and, and looked after. Church members are probably going to, going to invite you around theirs after the service for, for lunch or for a drink during the week down the pub. This church is loving. I think it's, it's the type of church you want to be a part of. But here's the thing. While the church in Ephesus was loveless, theologically it was sound, it was orthodox. The church in Thyatira has the opposite problem. It's very loving, but it's not as orthodox as it could be. And here's the thing. I think it probably knows that. Well, at least part of the church does. I think it knows it because the church as a whole isn't holding to the teaching of this woman, Jezebel. It's merely tolerating her teaching. The fact that it is tolerating it seems to me to imply that it understands that this woman's teaching isn't entirely kosher. When you agree with something, you don't normally just tolerate it or put up with it, do you? You tend to embrace it. But that's not what the whole church is doing. The church is suspicious of the teaching. Now, why would the church be tolerating this false teaching? The reason I think it is the reason I think is because this church thinks it's the loving thing to do. So suppose you were to ask this church, why are you tolerating this woman Jezebel's teaching? I think they'd be inclined to respond something along the lines of, isn't it loving to be tolerant? 
And the answer to that question, as I said earlier, is it depends. But in this instance, I think it is a firm no. It is not loving to be tolerant when it leads to sin in the church. It is not loving to be tolerant when it leads to sin in the church. Look again with me at verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Before we think about the particular types of sin in, in Thyatira, in the church, it's worth asking, who exactly is this Jezebel? Now, I'll be honest, I think it's impossible for us uh, to know for sure. Her name probably isn't um, Jezebel. She's probably just called that because she's leading God's people astray, just like Jezebel did, um, whom we read about in the Old Testament. Just as Jezebel in the Old Testament caused God's people to commit sexual immorality and idolatry, so too is this Jezebel figure in Thyatira. She's teaching Christians that it's okay to sin, or at least to commit particular types of sin. And what are they? They are the sins that are most acceptable in Thyatiran culture. In Thyatira, if you're a married man and you have sex with a temple prostitute, do you think that's a problem? Not in the slightest. It's viewed as part of your devotion and worship to the local gods. Now, this Jezebel figure, she's telling Christians that it's okay, it's totally okay to have sex with a temple prostitute and to offer sacrifices to idols. Now think about that for a second. How convenient is that? By committing these sins, the Thyatiran Christians, they will fit right in with their culture. So when the Christian bricklayer is with other members of the bricklayer's guild, and they all raise their glasses and say, to Zeus, the Christian does the same. And when they visit the temple to see the prostitute, he tags along. Now we might think, hey, that is so obviously wrong, sleeping with prostitutes. Who on earth thinks that's okay? Just most people living in the first century Roman Empire. Why does the church tolerate people listening to this Jezebel figure's teaching and and doing what she says. We can't know for certain, but as already said, I hazard a guess that they think it's the loving thing to do. It's, it's not loving to challenge these people. It's not loving to publicly call out this false teacher. You see, they're very careful not to offend anyone. Perhaps they're thinking... At least these people are still coming to church, right? Isn't that a good thing? Maybe if they stop coming, hey, that will be far worse. And this is how 
false teaching and sin go unchecked. Now, folks, there are probably several ways to spot a false teacher, but I think this passage shows us very clearly, it shows us one at least very, very clearly. A telltale sign that someone is a false teacher is if they encourage you to live like the world. They downplay sins that are clearly condemned in Scripture, but approved of by our culture. Folks, sex outside of marriage is such an acceptable sin in our culture. We all know that. So you can see how, how tempting it is for a minister to just, just let it slide, to, to turn a blind eye to it, or to even encourage it like that Brazilian minister did. But that is not loving. Can you think of any other sins that our culture embraces that the church is invited to embrace as well? Stephen Croft, the Bishop of Oxford, uh, recently said that it would be good if ministers in the Church of England were allowed to conduct same-sex marriages. He's just being loving, isn't he? He's just being loving. Isn't it loving to be tolerant? Friends, it is not loving to be tolerant when it leads to sin in the church. This Jezebel figure, she calls herself a prophet. Just because someone today might be called a prophet, a bishop, a church minister, or a theologian, that doesn't give them the authority to say that a particular type of sin is okay. If scripture prohibits it, they have no right to endorse it. As a church, folks, as a church, let's, let's love one another and tolerate people who are different to us. But let's also make sure that we, we don't tolerate false teaching that encourages or minimizes sin within the church. Do you know why? Because the Son of God sees sin. It doesn't go unnoticed by Him. It's not loving to be tolerant when it leads to sin in the church because the Son of God can see. Now, our second point is our shortest point um, because, as we'll discover, it's very closely connected um, to our third and final point. So in several places in our passage, we discover that Jesus sees everything. So we get this idea from verse 18 where it says, These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes, whose eyes are like blazing fire. I think that is a reference to Jesus seeing everything. And then we get a, a similar idea from verse 19. I know your deeds and faith. How does the Son of God know? Because he can see. And then again in verse 23, uh, more specifically, the second sentence in verse 23. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches, who searches hearts and minds. Jesus searches. Jesus sees. 
even the sin that you commit only in your heart or in your mind and that no one else knows about, Jesus knows about. He, he sees. Jesus sees the good and Jesus sees the bad. So if we ever think that tolerating false teaching is okay or tolerating brazen, blatant, unrepentant sin is okay, remember that the Son of God sees. Nothing is hidden from him. But not only is sin seen, sin will also be judged. Third point is, it's not loving to welcome or tolerate unrepentant sin in the church because it will be judged. Look again with me at verse 18. These are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. What does it mean that Jesus' feet are like burnished bronze? It's a bit of a weird picture, right? That's imagery from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament and it's referring to, to judgment. Jesus will trample on evil. He will tread on his enemies. I think verse 18 serves as a bit of a summary of this whole letter to the church in Thyatira. The Son of God sees and the Son of God judges. So church, be warned. Do not take the toleration of unrepentant sin lightly. The Son of God sees sin and he will judge sin. Look at how uh, this judgment is described. Verse 22. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. By the way, the, uh, by the, way the, the children there doesn't mean her biological children. That's not what I think it means. I think it means her followers. They are the ones who will be judged. And there's a, de- a degree of irony here in, in the judgment. That the bed of sexual immorality becomes the bed of suffering. Because they indulge, on, they indulge in sin on the bed, they will suffer on the bed. Now, We need to be very careful here. I don't think this means that we should necessarily uh, equate any of our own suffering with a particular type of sin. So in John chapter 9, Jesus speaks about a man's blindness having nothing to do with any sin that he'd committed. But this doesn't mean that our suffering is never a consequence of our sin. It, it can be, as Paul speaks about in, in 1 Corinthians. So here's the main thing I think we need, to, we need to take away from these verses. Sin leads to judgment. Therefore, the toleration of unrepentant sin in the church is an extremely 
cruel and unkind thing. And by the way, I think it's also bizarre for the church to, to turn a blind eye to sin because of what it says in verse 26. Have a look at me at verse 26. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. What is the church going to do? What are you going to do? You are going to reign and judge with Christ. So church, why on earth would you turn a blind eye to unrepentant sin, which you will one day judge? Is that loving? If, if you really want to be loving, then don't tolerate sin in the here and now in the church. Lovingly challenge those in the church to repent of sin today so that they won't be judged later. Friends, that's what real love looks like. Real love is inviting people to repent. This is what Jesus himself does. In verse 21, he says, I have given her time to repent. And in verse 22, I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent. You see, Jesus offers us a way out of judgment, but it involves repentance. Let's be those who, who turn away from sin in our own lives and who also invite others in the church who haven't yet to do the same. Let's, let's not try to, to justify sin just because we can find a so-called prophet, church minister, or bishop who endorses it. Verse 24. It's probably the most puzzling verse in our passage, but I think it's, it's a good place to end. Have a look at verse 24. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned uh, Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. What are Satan's so-called deep secrets? Again, I don't think anyone can know for sure but I imagine that they might be related to what the Jezebel figure um, claims to be her source of authority. Now, I very much doubt that this Jezebel figure is, is claiming to teach Satan's deep secrets. Christians would steer well clear of her. If she did, if she's like, hey, look, I've got, I want to teach you what Satan taught me. A Christian's not going to be like, okay, yeah, let me, let, me, let me listen to you. I think she's probably claiming to have access to God's deep secrets. 
And maybe she's saying, hey, look, God told me that he, he doesn't condemn sexual immorality and idolatry. He, give the, he gives those things the thumbs up. I think that is probably what she's doing. And this makes sense as to or this would make sense as to why Jesus refers to her teaching, not as God's deep secrets, but as Satan's deep secrets. She's claiming that her message comes from God. But actually, it's satanic. Brothers and sisters, if if we want to discover God's will for us. We don't, we don't need to listen to the latest self-declared prophet who claims to have special revelation from God. You see, some people might find it listening to God's word as revealed in the scriptures. They might find that somewhat re- res- restrictive or, or burdensome. Maybe this is why Jesus says, I will not impose any other burden." on you, except to hold on to what you have until I come. Friends, what do we have? Jesus' words. We have the word of God. Let's, Let's hold on to that until the Son of God returns. Sure, that might seem like a burden to some but if we, if we love Jesus, how can it be a burden to possess and stick to what our beloved Savior has to say to us? It is not a burden. Surely, it's one of our greatest blessings. Let's pray. Father, it's, it's helpful to see here in this letter to the church in Thyatira how since the, the dawn of the church, really, um, the church has been tempted and inclined to tolerate sin. Father, we do pray that as a church we wouldn't do that here at Christ Church Banstead, and we pray for churches in our nation um, as it is pressure to conform and to say, Um, certain sins are okay. Father, we pray that we wouldn't be like that because that isn't loving. It's not loving to tolerate sin in the church. So, Father, we do pray that we would be those who would lovingly call people to repent because that is what is truly loving. Thank you so much for Jesus and for how he called us to repent and that because of that, if we repent, we can be forgiven and have a relationship with you. We praise you for this. Amen.